0: You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. there are all you triathlon studs and studettes. This is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance and learn a lot about ourselves along the way. All right. I am leaving the pool in the morning in the Zen Tri Mobile Studios. Let's fire her up. I'm very excited because on today's show, I'm going to bring you what I promised, a talk about how to make your own fuel for cheap and it works and it's fantastic. I was just explaining it to a coaching client last night and they said, oh my God, for real? (laughs) That's it? I said, yes, dude, this is amazing. It's going to save you money so you can spend that money on things like, I always say wheels, wheels are what make you go fast but they're expensive and okay along with that we've got the training log and that's where i take you with me for an hour or so on some of my workouts so you can see the triathlon training life and i give lots of tips along the way about efficiency and how to get it all done and cram it into your busy life with success But I want to get this show out because we've got some racing going on this weekend that I want to cover for the next show. For example, I learned very recently that adding just a tiny bit of sodium, and sodium citrate is actually the best, but a tiny bit of sodium to your sweet drink takes the edge off the sweet if you get tired of that sweet taste. Anyway, it's full of great things like that. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and cover some of the triathlon news. we got some big stuff. Here we go. All right, finishing a run with River. There we go. Six miles, under a 10-minute mile pace, just jogging. Had a storm front come through last night. It made me think. Something that Midwesterners know (laughs) and Southerners know. The difference between a tornado watch and a tornado warning, which we had last night. A watch means there could be a tornado. A warning means there is one in your area. Anyway, the heavy rain is well over, but it flushed out a lot of creatures. A lot of rain puddles made for a really challenging but fun run this morning. Trying to keep the socks and shoes somewhat dry. Skipping over puddles and stuff in the dark. It's also getting brighter earlier, which is nice. Kids are coming out for the bus stop up ahead. Anyway, I want to talk about Joe Skipper and his bike and aerodynamics. Uh, so Ironman Texas, we saw something really wild. Joe Skipper was on an Argon 18, which is a beautiful bike, by the way. Hello, Argon. How you doing? And... He had this crazy aerodynamic setup where he had aero water bottles which are flat and also in this case black which i really don't like because then the water and fuel inside gets hot but when you think about it maybe the pros are hiding something <sighs> i'm not saying he did this i'm just saying it just crossed my mind the uh aero bottles were positioned pointed forward flat vertically right above his forearms and it kind of filled the space between his forearms and his bicep which i thought looked ridiculous and i think we've reached peak arrow. like it was just too much (laughs) unfortunately he he missed the turn too so we didn't really get to see the full potential of what that did in a race he's an amazing triathlete i believe he's british and he's a really funny guy. I think, if anything, you ought to put your aero water bottles behind your upper arm. So they're like wings coming off the back. And then you reach around and grab water out of them. But if they're black, you can't tell if there's actually liquid in them or not. And if there isn't liquid in them, well, now they're just a fairing. But who's making these arrow bars like this? And then also, there was some comments on Slow Twitch, I think is where I was reading a longer page or two about it opinions where you know your arms are resting your forearms are resting on pads well to have these aero bottles over the top of your forearms your arms are really semi locked in to the aero bars i'm sure they tested and everything and it was reasonably safe and it's a safe course but still man what a setup so go check it out Joe, Google Joe Skipper, Arrow, Ironman, Texas, and you're going to see something crazy. And it reminds me of those, um, in the Tour de France last summer, was it? When somebody, one team wore helmets that had head socks built in the helmets, and they were like, that's too much. (laughs) It looked too goofy. So I'm all for Super Arrow and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. What's your opinion on it? Leave it in the show comments. Okay, we're going inside. I got to get ready to go to W to the ERK and we're going to talk about EPO doping and Lionel Sanders a little speech that he did. It was just amazing. Be right back. All right, we are back. We're in the backyard cooling down. So some of the other big news is this doping scandal with a pro triathlete Colin Chartier, I believe is his name. And he won a couple of big races last year. And then, out-of-season testing, out-of-competition testing thing, tested positive for EPO, which actually kind of surprised me a little bit that people are still using that, but maybe they're using it in smaller doses and trying to get away with it. That's what Lance used, amongst other things. And the tri- the triathlon industry is acting shocked. Some people are acting shocked. They thought triathlon was clean. And... I noticed on social media there were some posts by other pro triathletes that said uh, they don't think it's clean and the industry needs to come clean with how much doping there is and being covered up. I wouldn't say there's tons, but there's definitely some. And from what I'm seeing from these social media posts and the industry might be covering up uh, to try to keep up a positive image and keep up recruitment. It's the fox watching the hen house a little bit kind of a situation. But what was really, really interesting and honestly amazing was a video that Lionel Sanders posted where he was really upset because apparently he knew this guy and lived with him for a short while, trained with him some. And it hit him hard that somebody that close to him was doping. And Lionel is the quintessential quintessential i have trouble saying that and eternal age grouper turned pro so he's like a lot of us that are like why would you dope you know it's the sport's so great anyway but lionel said something that's that i found really powerful and i made sure that my son watched it because if you try to go pro in triathlon in any sport the chance that you're going to be the best for years and actually be able to make a career out of it is so tiny that really, we're blessed nowadays with the ability to do social media in that you can be pretty good. You can be great, but not win everything, but show the lifestyle. Uh, we've been doing it on Zentri, Show the lifestyle triathlon, and people really enjoy that. And Then you can get sponsorships, and appearance fees, and equipment, and live a really satisfying, happy life in the sport. And not have to win everything all the time. And so Lionel said something really powerful about that only one person gets to win a race. Everybody else loses. (laughs) So it's really rare that you actually win. So to cheat so that you win more often than you should is a very much uncool mindset. It's a very much not Zen mindset. Everything's as it is, and on, on occasion you win. And I just wanted to say my piece on this is this if you train some you'll do poor to average in the sport and if you don't pay attention and listen and learn from the science and the marginal gains and all that yeah you'll do you'll finish you'll be lucky to finish and you'll go all the way up to kind of mid pack and that's fine and then If you actually take your training semi-serious, you'll be top mid-pack to top two-thirds. And then if you start really living the life and take your training a little bit more seriously, you'll eventually, eventually, with some dedication and if you care and you do things right and try to minimize errors, you'll eventually be top 10%. Not top 10, but top 10%. And that is a huge accomplishment. It took me forever to get to that point. Years and years. And that feels amazing. You should always ask yourself, did I make top 10%? If you made top 10% in your age group, however you want to judge it, you can find your own competition level. Then that is just amazing. You've made it. You're the top 10% (laughs) in one of the world's hardest sports. Then, if you want to move up to another level and you get really serious and train really really hard and change your lifestyle entirely to be focused on this stuff then you'll podium often like and podiums can be 3 deep, 5 deep kind of depends on the sport and making the podium is incredible because the next thing up is on rare very rare occasion you'll win and usually it takes luck it takes the perfect conditions that are perfect for you the perfect race course that happens to be perfect for you it usually takes your biggest competitor not being able to show up (laughs) and you'll win local races on occasion and that's uh as pretty much as good as i've gotten as i've gotten to the point where i can win or i did getting back into it, you know, like a local 5k on a rare, rare occasion. I've won a couple, uh, grand fondos on rare, rare, rare occasion, but I started, I just first looked to see if I made top 10%. The amount I train, if I'm not wasting my time and being dumb about it, I should make top 10%. I'm really happy with that. And then the next level up is big races you podium, or you get—you uh, might actually win. And at the uh, there's a huge Olympic distance race in Kima, Texas. That was a Alcatraz qualifier. The top two spots, top three—I think it was top two spots—in my age group, very competitive age group, 35 to 39. I think got qualifier spots for the Alcatraz triathlon. I really care about the triathlon Alcatraz I cared about swimming the Alcatraz straight I always grew up with that being like the most amazing unbelievable thing that anybody could ever do and I only learned about it a week before the race and I put everything into that performance and got second and got a spot to Alcatraz and yeah so I podiumed at a got second place at a big Big race with pro field, everything. But it was just in my age group, because I'm an age group. And back to Lionel's words, sport is about losing. You lose and you learn, and you lose and you learn. It's okay to lose. Only and if you put it in perspective, this is in part of this, you put it in perspective, only one person wins. <laughs> so on rare occasion, out of the thousands of people in, a, in an event, the do you, do you actually become the person that wins so i suggest you go check out lionel's speech it was really amazing uh, my opinion on doping is i'm really sick of seeing all these billboards and such for middle-aged men to go get testosterone treatment while i'm in a ra- i'm in a race i was at Ironman texas and i see billboards yeah but hey what? there's a metal spoon and yeah, okay Sorry, that was Emily asking about sodium citrate. I'm in the middle of a, the bike race or a packet pickup or whatever for Ironman Texas and there's billboards all over the place for got low T, got low T, low testosterone? Come in and we'll give you testosterone. And it's like the market's being flooded with men at my age group that are being told that it's okay to get testosterone boosting and then I'm racing against these people and the chances of them getting tested is really, really, really low. So I'm not happy about that. And that seems to me to be the predominant thing in uh, my age group and maybe yours as well. All right, let's clean up and get to W to the ERK. All right, that's the news. So next, let's go into what I promised on last episode, a talk about sugar as a different kind of fuel. I said last week, that I'd come across a new kind of fueling (laughs) that's actually really old school kind of fueling when you think about it. And it's really mind-blowing. And before I get into it, I talk about it for an hour. And I'm sorry about that. But I'm trying to explain every nuance, every little facet that people that are really into fueling and really know a lot about The chemistry of fueling are going to have a million questions. And I try to cover it, like I said, from every angle and answer all the questions and then also how to do it. So bear with us while I go at length on some of the the information. And if you don't like it, you just fast forward through it and get to the training log, which is the part that we know you're going to like. But I should also add in, before we get started with the fueling, in the show notes, I've added a link to the thread... That I talk about that came from Slow Twitch of where I learned about this fueling, and I think the thread's seven pages long of, of a forum page of people different people trying it out, giving their experience, talking about how to do it, all the way down to the to the gummy worms <laughs> at the end, <laughs> and uh, it's really fantastic, and the. The proponent behind this, t- this type of fueling is uh, Dr. Alex Harrison, and his contact info is in there as well. All right? So with all that, let's go ahead and get started with the cheapest awesome fuel that you might ever come across. Here you go. Welcome to the next level. All right, leaving the pool, and let's talk about fuel. So for a long time, probably a couple decades or more, we've been preaching about osmolality, osmolality, And that is about the number of particles in your fuel, the number of molecules. And it's true, but it turns out there's something even more important which I'll get to in a second hold on put it on my shirt the humidity here in Texas now that it's starting to warm up makes that locker room like a swamp I'm gonna get out of there as fast as I can into the into the at least the outdoors where it's a little bit breezier okay so simple sugars are called simple because it's like one molecule per sugar if a sugar was a singular instance And a starch is a whole bunch of single sugars strung together into a longer molecule. So a starch is like a long chain of sugars, of simple sugars. And the valid reasoning goes, if you did it like an analogy, a whole bunch of people trying to get to work in rush hour in the morning in individual vehicles causes a traffic jam alternatively, what if, and the people are the energy. One person is one unit of sugar. Well, what if you packed sugars into a bus? (laughs) Well, now you're down to one vehicle with a whole bunch of sugars and that's It's an amazing analogy because we all know that mass transportation where people, a whole bunch of individuals load up into one unit actually reduces traffic and congestion. So it's this idea that works because your body, your stomach sees the molecules not the individual sugars. It counts It's like a traffic cop waving molecules through. Well, if a molecule is a single car at the traffic intersection, the traffic cop is waving single car, single car, single car, you know, alternatively. And the exchange rate is like one vehicle at a time. But what if one of those vehicles was a bus? (laughs) And then you've got... 20 units of energy coming through the intersection and getting to your bloodstream where they can actually produce energy for you. So the list of starches out there, you're you're pretty familiar with it. So potatoes, corn, grains and wheats, grains like wheat, bread. Those are actually plant life that has stored sugar for energy in a long chain because it can pack them in better for future use it's kind of like the plant's version of animal fat <laughs> it's a lot of energy packed into a, uh, a storable structure and you can tell if something is a starch like a cracker, take an unsalted cracker We used to do this in science class when I was a kid and put it on your tongue and let it sit there in your mouth and let saliva start to break it apart and it'll start turning sweet when it did not start off as sweet so your body is starting to break it apart into single sugars right in your mouth now back to endurance fueling the whole idea is to get as many Calories, units of sugar, easily digestible into your bloodstream as fast as possible. And you can see how this works if you use fuel that is packed with maltodextrin, which is a, it, it can be, it's most often corn starch, I think, but it could be made of other starches. If you taste maltodextrin, it does not taste sweet but it's dextrin, it's dextrose, and an os is a sugar. So your body starts to break it apart into individual sugars, which your bloodstream can then deliver to the muscles. And this leads to less upset stomach because there's less of a traffic jam in your bloodstream. So food scientists and endurance athletes coaches I've known about this, like I said, for years. And it works pretty great. You can start packing in 250, 300 calories per hour, using mostly starches. And then the other thing is, your body has multiple transport systems. It's like, if it was a freeway again, it's got a double-decker. In Austin, there's a freeway on the east side. that A lot of big cities have a freeway that are double-deckers all go in the same direction, or like a bridge over over water where you got traffic, multiple stacks, stacks on stacks, traffic. So you have transporters available to move fructose, sucrose, all the oses, a little bit of body fat, or um, a little bit of fat fat, actually, and then, but not much. And this is pretty great. But new research and done in practice starting by just a few people, but a whole lot more people, has started to show that even more important, even more valuable, even more powerful than osmolality is the ratio of fructose to sucrose. So if you just ate fructose on your fuel, you eventually get sick to your stomach. The equivalent I like to say is like, it's like eating a bag of Halloween candy (laughs) overnight. Kids get sick to their stomach like, oh, my stomach, no more. And it's because of the traffic jam that's starting in their stomach. So let's say that you can double the amount of calories you can take in by paying attention to osmolality and saying let's throw in some maltodextrin in here and pack in these sugar molecules as a starch and sneak them by like a bus through the intersection so if that's double it turns out you can almost triple the amount of calories you can sneak past your stomach and get into your bloodstream by paying attention to the ratio of fructose to sucrose and trying to get it as close to 50-50 as possible. And the crazy thing, it turns out that table sugar, so table sugar is usually made from cane or beets, sugar beets, a lot of people don't know that. We all think of cane, sugar cane, but sugar beets, and the ratio of that stuff is 50-50. And so with lots of studies, they're showing that people can put down more calories, no upset stomach, starting to get into three easily 300, 350, 400 calories per hour, and having much better workouts. A whole step above a different league than just paying attention to osmology. Okay, but nobody wants to sit there and eat table sugar for their fuel or you think you don't want to until it starts working and then the rewards are like, wow, I might uh, stick with this. So I've got some tips and tricks that actually work and I'll be back here in a second. And also the other reward is the amount of money that you save. Anyway, I gotta go into W to the ERK. Be right back. All right, we are back. I'm walking out to the Zentri Mobile Studios. Actually, wanted to use my lunch break to go get a haircut i let my hair grow really long like really long (laughs) i could put it in a ponytail and uh now that it's getting to be hot in the summer it's uh too much especially like swim cap won't stay on like it's a big mess i really enjoyed it uh for somebody my age to have uh enough hair left to uh make it look cool and stuff is a uh, quite an accomplishment, but really it's not up to me. I should thank my parents, not me, <laughs> but anyway, I did it once during the pandemic. I grew it out, could put it in a ponytail just to do it, you know, cause we're kind of bored during the pandemic. And then I don't know. I just kind of did it again, cut it real short and then did it again. Anyway, it's time to get rid of it. I enjoyed it. One thing I like is, uh, the fact that it covers your ears it sticks out from the side of my helmet and covers my ears and the back of my neck so as far as uh, sun protection anti-skin cancer it's uh it's the way to go so that's the one thing I'm gonna miss although I used to ride with a bandana stuffed up under my helmet a little bit on the back half and it would stick outside on the sides and on the back and act kind of like hair to shave on, just on training rides not on a race Okay, let's get back to the sugar stuff. This is so fascinating. So sugar, regular table sugar works. I, I mean, it's like, I'm just going to guess at the price, but like $3 for five pounds. Like it's unbelievably inexpensive. And I've bought all kinds of expensive fuels over all the years, custom blends and all that stuff. And I have not had anything work as well as this. Because it's one thing for stuff to be cheaper, but you need it to work. And if you're a high volume triathlete, then you spend a lot of money on fuel. So this is crucial. And, uh, you know, and in between is you use cheap stuff for training and use the expensive stuff on race day. Don't use it for the first time ever on race day. You kind of like test it out, make sure it works, and all that crap. Get used to it. But anyway. In practical use, on the thread, on slow twitch, I found that a few people were saying that they didn't like the super. This this is before I tested it out myself. Uh, a few people didn't like the how sweet, and it's not like crazy sweet. It's just sweet. It's it's uh, how sweet just plain sugar is. It's just what it is. Is is it's sweet, but with no flavor. There's nothing to it so it's just kind of weird but not, not bad it's just uh, just different a lot of things in Zen we learn are preferences and you can actually what you think is people like are afraid of things or don't like things it's always about like and don't like likes and dislikes and uh, those are actually framed by experience and by exposure and people that used to hate something are now fine with it and vice versa It just kind of depends. So, people saying they can't stand something is usually something that they can work through, by the way. But anyway, back to the practical use. Some people mentioned that they, and I think maybe Alex Harrison, Dr. Harrison mentioned this, people left a little, used a little bit of Gatorade for flavor. Gatorade. powder and I was like oh that's really interesting because my previous fuel mix was Gatorade powder this is all to save money Gatorade powder in bulk you can buy like a three to five pound thing of Gatorade powder it's like the bigger container big container with the peel off lid at the grocery store you kind of have to look for it but you can find it and that is really inexpensive as well and uh, bulk maltodextrin. I would buy, you know, twenty pounds or something. One time, about several times, about fifty-pound bags, and it took like three years to use it of uh, maltodextrin in bulk. So it's really inexpensive, and then I would just add my own salt. Now we're gonna get into that in a second. The sodium citrate. Oh my gosh, it's crazy story. Anyway, I'm like, oh, I got Gatorade powder laying around, and Gatorade powder is close to 50 50 fructose to sucrose so it's almost the magic ratio and on top of that gatorade powder usually has a color to it i can't think of an example where it doesn't it. it'd be orange if it's orange flavored you know kind of reddish if it's a uh, fruit punch blue if it's like this frost or whatever it looks like windex <laughs> Or Dave Letterman drinking that kind of stuff on TV and spitting it out. But you'll find that adding a little bit of Gatorade powder to the table sugar mix actually gives it a little bit of a flavor, like an orange flavor or a fruit punch flavor. And it makes the, the plain sweetness of just the table sugar uh, much less noticeable, much less of, a, of an issue. I, I didn't it didn't bother me at all and another pro triathlon training tip regardless of what fuel you use is I've learned that it is almost critical to try to use clear bottles as much as possible because with clear bottles you can see how much fuel you've got left how much water you've got left and If you've got serious results in mind and doing serious training, you need to know what's left so you can see how much you've used and also when you need to get more, like at an aid station or you're stopping to pick some up. In once you try to get good at triathlon, the way you get good is you quit guessing about stuff and you actually know. It's one thing that people love about triathlon. Nerds love triathlon because it's all about things that are measurable, metrics, And one thing that drives me crazy is people or bikes that come with black bottles. One, you can't see through it. Also, the aero bottles in the front, you know, like the between the bars, like the Giant. uh, What is the triathlon bike made by Giant? Anyway, it's got a black nose on it to hold water. Uh, Water bladders in the down tube. You've got no idea how much you've got left. At least with a Camelback, I can reach around my back and squeeze it and feel about how that got, you know, uh, half a bottle's left, you know. And then if it's black, if it's a warm day, it makes your fuel or your water hot, which is just oh, it's the worst. It makes it actually makes a really big impact on your performance because cold. If it's a hot day, drinking cold liquids, cools you down, so you can just imagine what hot liquids do sitting out there in the sun, and it makes your stuff go bad faster, it's just gross all the way around, so some people might say, aha, my, my fuel is clear, <laughs> and it's a clear bottle, now what, ah, like that, and say, well, I keep all my fuel making stuff next to a cabinet that has food coloring in it, and I'll put a drop of food coloring in it to designate it what, what it is. Like, this might be a high-sodium bottle. This might be a low-sodium bottle. This might just be salt water. I'll color that green for some reason. I don't know why I do that. But um, plain water is blue. And uh, my fuel is, like, orange if it's the Gatorade mix. So now I can see how much of whatever I've got left, how much I've been using. And also at the end of the ride, let's say you had a bad ride or a good ride, you know how much it, how much you took of what. And you can work on your, um, your dosing. Like I'll make a three or four hour bottle of fuel. And because it's got color to it, I can actually see how much I've used. And it's a clear bottle. I can see how much I've used and make sure I don't Go through it too fast and then get sick to my stomach, or not go through it fast enough and then I've got low energy. So, back to making the Gatorade and table sugar, we're now on pennies on a dollar, and which in America is means it's really, really cheap. And I'll do one scoop of Gatorade and the scoop I use is a 25 gram scoop. I got one some time somewhere and that's 100 calories So I'll do a hundred calories of Gatorade powder and the stuff I've got right now is orange and Then the rest of it Table sugar and I can measure it one of two ways. I've got that 25 gram scoop. So every scoop level scoop is another hundred calories So let's say I'm going to do a three-hour water bottle and I'm going to do 300 calories per hour. Well, then three times three is nine. So one scoop Gatorade, another eight scoops table sugar. And the crazy thing is it mixes up just fine. A lot of stuff that has maltodextrin in it, it's such a powder that it uh, doesn't like to mix so well sometimes. But uh, what I'll do is I'll give the bottle a good shake. And then I have uh, an Aero Latte thing, which is like a frother. It's like a mixer. And, and um, it's, it's got like two AA batteries in it. It's really small. And it's just for whipping cream in your coffee to give it a little bit of froth on top. Well, I use the thing all the time to stir everything. And it's real quick. It's just you throw a little switch. It's the size of like a small bat you know, small flashlight. It's not the bigger one. And then it mixes up the bottle just fine and that extra agitation that that thing does uh mixes the sugar with the um with the water just fine. It makes for a uh, uh saving a ton of time. You don't have to go around for 5 minutes shaking a water bottle to mix everything together. So that again is like a handheld double A battery powered Uh, Coffee frother that you get at Amazon, or I used to get them at Bed Bath and Beyond for like fifteen bucks. And uh, but I don't know what's happening with Bed Bath and Beyond right now. They're probably on sale. (laughs) If you haven't heard the news, all right. I'm gonna go in and actually get my haircut. I'm at the haircut place, and we will come back with a shorn head and a review explanation of how many bottles to use, how to break this up. Over a really, really long distance race. Like an Ironman bike, 112 miles. What do you do? What do you do? All right, I'll be right back. All right, we are back. My hair was so long and it kind of looked cool in a weird way. The hairstylist, the barber lady was, I could just go to super cuts or pro cuts or quick cuts or quick clips, super clips. What's it called? Great clips. And uh, she's like, you sure you want to cut all this off? (laughs) Anyway, I got the haircut that looks like almost like Peaky Blinders. Uh, I keep calling it Troubadour, but I think it's called a Pompadour. Anyway, back to the fueling. So I think if... I have, actually. If I've done something that's going to go four and a half... More than four hours, then I would divvy it up into two water bottles. Or usually there's a stop somewhere where you can pick up a second water bottle. A second fuel bottle. Kai always... Uh, dilutes his into two bottles and then the next thing is the sodium well let me before we get into the sodium issue because this is freaking wild uh i got kai switched over with the sodium that i'm about to tell you but from he was using gatorade endurance which we were ordering off of amazon 25 bucks a pop you have to order it because the united states you can't buy it it has they only is sold in stores on um in Canada, I think is the nearest place, but Lionel Sanders is famous for using Gatorade Endurance and getting a lot of people on that. And what's nice about Gatorade Endurance is it's got the sodium built in and it's like 50% Gatorade and 50% maltodextrin, which is kind of what. So I was basically making my own Gatorade Endurance uh, before I started doing the table sugar thing, trying to save money. But for Kai, and you know, Kai's a high, he's a senior in high school. I don't think he's got the, the patience. <laughs> he's plenty smart. But the patience and the understanding of how important it is to get the stuff exactly right, to be mixing all of his own stuff. He's got a lot going on in his life. Uh, and it's a little bit too much to be obsessed about making fuel. We'll leave that up to people that are in their 30s and on up. So we were buying the Gatorade Endurance because it's already pre-made, basically. Even though it costs a lot-ish. As far as like a better endurance fuel, Gatorade Endurance is pretty much one of the cheapest for a quality fuel. And again, it's over regular Gatorade, it's uh, about 50% maltodextrin. And then, you know, two, three times the amount of sodium. And it gets its sodium from sodium citrate, which will become relevant here in a second. So we're looking to save money, cutting back, stick stick to a tighter budget. And I said, Kai, one thing we can do is get you using, uh, my homemade fuel, which is super cheap. And I swear it's amazing. And there's a car that's about to back up into me. Okay. There you go. And Kai's got a part-time job and he's trying to save money. So I finally convinced him to try it. And his very first ride with it, he said, kind, kind of didn't like it because it tasted too sweet, but I asked, how did you feel? And he said, well, I felt freaking great. I had tons of energy. And he finished the ride all like bouncing off the walls and everything. That's one way you can tell your fueling is good is your energy when you finish. You can tell when you finish also if you had enough sodium in it and if you got dehydrated of by how much you crave salty foods when you're done. If you finish a ride and or a long run, and you're craving savory foods and potato chips and salty stuff like that, then that means that you did not have enough sodium and fluids in your fuel. Anyway, the next ride we did, Kai finished and said, this shit is amazing. (laughs) I feel freaking amazing. And I said, I know, isn't this great? This is so cool. I said, and it's cheap. It's so cheap. And, uh, yeah, I asked Kai, hey, can we cancel our subscription? We're getting it ordered once every two weeks, getting it delivered once every two weeks, Gatorade Endurance. And he said, yeah, I'm never going back to that crap. <laughs> I was like, Well. Oh, and the other thing is, I was saying, you know, you go off to college, you really need to save money. You'll be looking for all kinds of ways to save money. And this is one way to do it. And it is what he was fueled on when he won his age group at the U.S. Pro Cup. For example, the stuff works and I noticed I was I was really worried that towards the end of a ride I would, you know, get sick to my stomach. The same symptoms you get normally if you overfuel and I didn't. I could not believe it. Uh, one time I felt like uh, the tiniest bit sick, sick to my stomach and when you feel that way with regular fuel with maltodextrin in it, you drink water and And it goes away gradually, but you're down, you know, and not feeling good for quite a while, like like, uh, 20, 30 minutes. This time using this stuff, I just drank more water and I immediately felt better. Like my symptoms went away of not feeling good, like almost immediately. It was a world apart from what I'd been using before. So now let's move on from that to sodium citrate. At the dinner table... We usually get our sodium and also I guess with uh, uh, regular food, salting, going out to eat and we talk about it's really high in sodium. Most sodium in food comes from sodium chloride and I believe that's NaCl. Sodium, the the periodic table lists sodium as Na, chloride is Cl. Well it turns out that Sodium chloride taken in high doses, medium high doses, like you would take and require to perform well in a long-distance event makes you sick to your stomach. And I was making my homebrew fuel also with sodium chloride, you know, regular table salt. And what I was doing was about 500 milligrams, I think is what it is, uh, per liter of water is the general rule. And that's fine for like a liter, maybe two, but after you start getting into three, four liters of water, like it's going to make you ill. And it turns out there's a different form of sodium called sodium citrate, where the sodium is bonded with citric acid instead of chloride. And if you eat a little bit of citric Uh, sodium citrate, it doesn't really taste like citric acid. It has a very slight slight citric acid taste to it, but it's salty with a little bit of citric acid. And it turns out your body can absorb and use the sodium in that form way easier than with sodium chloride with regular table salt. And you'll see that sodium citrate, is usually on the ingredient list and a lot of higher end sports fuels and drinks and because you can tolerate a little bit more sodium that way or maybe a lot more sodium that way then you can take on more sodium and that helps you hydrate even better and this is what you should switch to if you're making your own fuel and or you're trying to salt things for working out and you're going to take stuff in high sodium doses and what's really funny is actually you can make sodium citrate at home and I did it (laughs) I've got a video somewhere it's like making meth out of Breaking Bad it's very similar we joked later that we should have added uh, blue food coloring to it because it kind of crystallizes into little slabs at first and then you break it up into finer powder and, but by the time you make it, it takes like a couple hours to make it. And you are saving as much time and time as money just to order it online. You, and I guess in a big city at a fancy grocery store or a fancy baking store, you might be able to find sodium citrate for sale. But even though it's a common ingredient, in cooking, it's actually really hard to find at grocery stores. Just a lot of places don't carry it. So what you do is, I think you do baking soda. I'm trying to remember now, baking soda, which is sodium bicarbonate and then citric acid. And there's a you do so many grams of that and so many grams of the other, mix it together in water and the baking soda bubbles off, the bicarbonate bubbles off and all you're left with is the sodium. And then it bonds with the citric acid that you've put in, the citric acid powder that you can buy. You can buy both of those things at the grocery store. Baking soda. But you have to get like a very particular type of baking soda. And then um, and citric acid, you can get those at the grocery store pretty easily. And so in a saucepan, I made my own sodium citrate. <laughs> and it was fun. And we did it as a project just to see Uh, before I went, uh, before I decided, man, this is too much work and found it for 20 bucks for a decent sized bag of it uh, online and Amazon. I'll provide links to all this stuff in the show notes, by the way. But it worked, worked fine. And sodium citrate has about, it's not half, it's a little bit more than half the amount of sodium in it as table salt does per per gram so if you were using a quarter teaspoon of table salt per liter of water then you would use a half a teaspoon of sodium citrate per liter of water and again it doesn't taste as salty as you would think I guess because it's bonded to something else it doesn't uh, hit the taste buds quite the same So now we're gonna get down into some really technical details of strategy for fueling and hydration. It is a mistake to put in your sodium in with your fuel because you are not sure during a ride how much water you're actually going to drink. And if you put your sodium in with your fuel, then you have to drink a certain amount of water to dilute the sodium. You, If it's a cold day, the amount of sodium you put in your fuel could be too much because you're not taking on as much water because you don't need as much water. So the amount of sodium in your fuel changes based on how much water you drink, right? You're trying to replace your hydration. And your hydration has a ratio of sodium in it per liter. And if you're not replacing as much hydration, on a cold day, you drink hardly any water. So why would you need all this sodium, right? And on a hot day, you drink a ton of water, so you need more sodium. So what I've learned to do is I make a concentrated fuel bottle, but it's got hardly any sodium in it. Got a four hour fuel bottle with 250 milligrams of sodium in it. I mean, like, nothing. It's almost nothing. It's whatever came in that 25 grams of uh, Gatorade scoop, of plain Gatorade. And plain Gatorade is not high in sodium compared to, like, Gatorade Endurance. But what you do need to do is make sure that the water you are going to drink is salted. Sodiumed. (laughs) So... On a road bike, and I'm riding with a camelback. I've got two water bottles on the frame, right? Let's say, for example, this is a three hour ride, four hour ride, and a camelback. And the camelback is a, well, a larger camelback. It's like 72, 75 ounces worth of water, which is two and a half, three bottles, uh, uh, water bottles worth of tall. I, and I always use tall water bottles, might as well. So I've got my fuel bottle on the down tube and then on the seat tube i've got a water bottle in that i will put a half a teaspoon of sodium citrate and then in my camelback i will put in three times that because it's about the equivalent of three water bottles in a camelback of sodium citrate so what is that that's um three quarters of a tablespoon but basically no that's uh one one and a half tablespoons (laughs) So basically it's half a tablespoon per liter of water. And then what I've noticed is if it's a hotter day, I'll drink less of the water, but then I need less of the sodium, right? But my fuel stays the same. And if it's a a hotter day, I hope I said colder day a second ago. If it's a hotter day, then I'll drink more of that water, but then I'll also be taking in more sodium to keep that water on board. Now let's say that you are doing a really long race and you're gonna need to pick up water as you go well there's a solution for that too i've done uh, both of these plenty you can buy capsules if you want and make your own sodium citrate capsules and then keep them in a little ziploc and then pop a pop a capsule and then kind of half chew it up squirt water in your mouth get it nice and mixed up and then and then squeeze it squirt spit it back into your water bottle through the top And then that'll uh, sodium your water bottle if you pick up a water bottle along the way. Another one is, you know, there's like uh, these gel flasks. Well, you can put in concentrated sodium citrate in the flask. So say I know I'm going to be picking up water bottles along the way. Well, I could fill up that flask with four doses of sodium citrate you know, one for each water bottle. And then for each water bottle that I pick up to get sodium in it, I take a, a mouthful of the gel flask water. And that's the one where I usually food color it green. And then I uh, spit that. You don't have to unscrew the bottle, the top of your water bottle. You just squeeze it a little bit and then let it suck out of your mouth, the uh, sodium citrate mix. And then now I've got a, a, a salted water bottle. Uh, water bottle. And for those of you that um, are newer to triathlon or not experienced with how the pros and the elite Kona type people do long distance triathlon, this is very, very common where you carry concentrates on you and then you mix them on the go while like in the aero bottle between your arms uh, while on, yeah, while on the go. So You have like a concentrated bottle and you could either sip from it or you could squirt about one bottle's worth of concentrate of anything, of the fuel, of the sodium or whatever, into the aero bottle between your arms. You pop the little lid off and then you pour in water and then blow air bubbles through it with your straw to get it mixed up. And I know uh, Starkey used to do this, Starkowitz and... Lots of, lots of people do this. And then we're going to get into gummy worms here in a second, which is another huge topic, which is totally fascinating. But uh, before we do, I wanted to mention another reason why you don't want to sodium your fuel. So let's say you've got a two, three, four-hour water bottle, a fuel bottle going on. The amount of sodium you would have to put in that thing is uh, strong enough where the sodium is going to interfere with your body trying to pull the fuel across the stomach lining to get to your bloodstream. So water is going to be attracted to sodium. If you drink something that's high in sodium, it's going to pull water out of your bloodstream where it needs to be to keep you nice and cool and keep your blood, blood plasma nice and happy at the right ratio. And that's why people get stomach pains whenever they drink something high in sugar and high in salt. It is pulling Hydration to digest this stuff across your stomach lining. And it hurts, and it's bad enough as it is with just the sugar and the fuel. You don't want to add to it with sodium because sodium is really strong with this effect. So if you keep your sodium out of your fuel and keep it in your water instead, which already makes sense based on what I explained to you, well, then also the fuel is much more likely, happier, easily transferred across the stomach lining into your bloodstream for you to use. So your fuel should actually kind of be low sodium so that your fuel will cross. It's got enough work to do as it is to cross your stomach lining. And then as you drink the water, that's got the right ratio of sodium in it, which is much lower, uh, but you're drinking big gulps of water to, um, Dilute the fuel that's in your stomach. And I'm telling you, it works. It's absolutely amazing. Okay, we're going to leave off right here and then we're going to come back with the gummy worms solution, which is even more fun. All right, we are back. Oh my gosh. We need to finish up this gummy worms thing. (laughs) I'm editing some of the training log of this show and it's going to take me forever to get another show out. My God. Okay, anyway. A lot of people want to eat solid foods when they train and okay and race. And it's like, okay, fine. The thing that you should know, if and this show is not entirely all about racing. This is all about finding your zen and enjoying the, the lifestyle. So it does not have to be about racing. The thing to know is that if you want your highest performance, it's liquid. Solid foods are a no-no. You want all liquid. Because the closer it is to being pre-digested, the easier it is for you to absorb the energy. Now, a lot of us don't need that all the time. I do solid foods on occasion. If I'm going on a really, really relaxed ride, I would bring like a Clif Bar, for example, and snack on that. Kai's done pretty well on Gatorade Endurance and Clif Bars for, uh, for some of his, even some of his races. So, you know, it works. But, one, you're playing with fire a little bit by not having the right stuff. And two, and right stuff, I mean the right ratio of chemicals. And and, uh, you could have too much fat, fat slows stuff down, then you get sick, you puke. People, uh, you should stay away from fiber. Well, the thing is, is while you're exercising and while you're racing, that is not a time to be eating healthy. (laughs) You eat healthy when you're not exercising, While you're exercising, you're trying to maximize your output, and then that works your muscles, and then that improves your muscles. So you should definitely eat healthy 100% off the bike and off the run. During the bike and run, it's a completely different animal. A lot of people don't get that. They try to eat healthy while exercising, and then that shoots themselves in the foot because then they don't get in the as good of a workout as they could and they don't reach their potential because they have low energy, lower energy. They don't know it, but lower energy than they could and lower uh, happiness. They don't feel as good and lower results. But if you're looking for performance, looking to have great workouts, great races, great training, and you do want solid foods mixed in some it turns out a wildly available and inexpensive product is out there. And it starts off with gummy bears, Har- Haribo gummy bears. Turns out those also have nearly the perfect ratio of fructose to sucrose, 50-50. And they're very chewy. They definitely satisfy the chewing part <laughs> that you're looking for. And when I was reading the aforementioned thread on Slow Twitch about this stuff, person after person, and it may have been a different thread too, uh, same people, but just double down on, yes, gummy bears, they work. They love them. They're super easy, portable, put them in a Ziploc, inexpensive. You can buy them in bulk. They last forever. Just a, a wonderful solution. And also... Uh, Dr. Alex Harrison and others posted what the pros eat, like in the Tour de France and other big bike races when they do day after day after day, big, hard races. And it's candy. They eat certain types of candy, and the big one is um, gummy bears. And what made it take off, if you google it, you can find a video of Peter Sagan, one of the world's best cyclists, finishing a race. I th- I think it was a stage race. It might have been the Tour de France. He won a stage of the Tour de France. And he rides up to the guy that catches him, holds his bike, and they hand him a fistful of gummy bears and he started eating them immediately. I think because you want to start refueling and getting ready for tomorrow. And I think that's where the world, this was, you know, five, seven years ago. And that's where the world was like, there was all these articles about it. Like, what? What is this? What's going on? And yeah, they're the most easily digestible, highest impact, portable food out there. That's not a liquid. If you uh, can't deal with a liquid at the moment. But oh no! it gets even better than that. I mentioned on one of these threads that I was going to go out and run and try gummy bears in a Ziploc. And I did. And I, it was either uh, before the run or after the run, there started to be a conversation about, hey, you want to do one even better than gummy bears? Gummy bears are... I think I mentioned something about... You know, hands being sweaty, and or somebody, yeah, somebody else mentions that once your hands get sweaty, and the gummy bears, uh, it's hard to get a grip on them because they're slick, especially with sweaty hands. And then also they're small, and it's kind of it's kind of like you don't want to give babies, you know, grapes. They're you're jump, you're bouncing up and down, you're on a bike. It's easy to choke on one and get one stuck in your throat. And the alternative is sour gummy worms so they are the same ingredients as gummy bears so the perfect ratio they're sour so they have a flavor that really uh, really tastes good on the the palate after a long day of you still need to put down more liquids and everything so they make you a little bit thirsty that's why Gatorade itself has a little bit of tartness to it because it makes you want it makes you crave more that way you'll, you'll use more and hydrate even better and fuel even better. And then on top of that, the texture of them is powdery. They're actually kind of dry and uh, powdery to the touch. And they're long, you know, they're like a couple inches long. So when you reach in your Ziploc to fish out a gummy worm, and also, one gummy worm is like uh, two gummy bears, so it's also more efficient. It just like, it just keeps adding up why you want to do this. When you reach into Ziploc to grab a gummy worm, your hands don't slip all over the place and like you would with a gummy bear and have trouble getting a, a gummy bear or two or three. You try to grab like several gummy bears, and you get three, but then one of them slips through your fingers, right, <laughs> and then drops on the ground and... Behind you, if you're on the bike or on the ground, you don't want to touch that. You don't want to eat that. But with gummy worms, you actually, when you fish them out, which is kind of funny, of the uh, Ziploc bag, they actually stay in your hand. They don't fall out. And then you put them in your mouth, let's say two or three gummy worms, and you don't get the choking hazard that you do because they're not grape shaped, little oblong roundish objects they're longer and stringier sort of and so you actually get a chance to lock down on them and chew them up a little bit before you uh start trying to swallow them so you can yeah get them into tinier pieces you have a lot more control of them in your mouth because of the uh of the powder texture as well and yeah you don't drop them all over the place because they stick to your hands better because they're powdered. So I did one run, a hot run, with Ziploc, a tiny little Ziploc, full of gummy bears. And then I went out and bought sour gummy worms. And at the grocery store, the brand of grocery store here, that's the big one. We have Kroger and we have HEB. And HEB has store brand Sour gummy worms. So they're like ridiculously inexpensive. And on my second run, sweaty hands, reaching in a Ziploc, I was able to fish out exactly the number of gummy worms that I wanted every single time. And I didn't drop them. I didn't choke on them. It was perfection. So since then, what I do now is I go on my long bike rides and runs. And I do liquid fuel and then water. There's a kid with a baseball just wandering in the street. That kid needs a friend. <laughs> anyway, the uh, so I'm going out for a three, three and a half, four hour ride. I've got my solid fuel. I mean, I've got my liquid fuel in a bottle. I've got my water. There's a water stop that I know of. Uh, at the post office, in case I absolutely need it towards the end, so I can get more water and then I carry a ziplock of gummies of gummy worms in my jersey pocket or in my frame bag. kind of just depends I've carried them in my sock on the run they're so lightweight that it's uh, really they're really easy to carry in a ziplock and then. If I feel like I'm going through my fuel too fast, I'm like, man, I am my liquid fuel. Man, I need more calorie. I'm going through these calories faster than I thought I was going to. Or I'm going to go longer than I thought I was. Or if I want kind of a change of liquid and want maybe to chew on something, I just reach in my jersey pocket and grab some fish out some gummy worms. And it works. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I'm so, so happy. After all these years, I finally found a budget item for fuel that really works. Because like I said earlier, the homemade Gatorade Endurance kind of worked. But this is 10 times better. And this is amazing. So to wrap this up, I need to mix in on occasion that if you find... The uh, training tips, the fueling tips, any kind of tips, I give you uh, helpful. Go out and test this first, you know, make sure it works. But if you find these kind of tips helpful, make sure to go over to zentrathlon.com and help support the show. Or also, I do full-on nutrition coaching and uh, triathlon coaching, and you can check that out. You can send it me, you can send me an email at Texafornia at gmail.com. There, there's my plug. All right. We've got the training log coming up. Let's head over to that. Polka King of the Mountain! Let's go, King We're of the wrong, Mountain! King come, King on, of the come on, let's go! He doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great stuff. Hope you all enjoyed it. Hope you could endure it. <laughs> you are endurance athletes, so you should be okay. And also... Again, don't forget, there's a link to lots of this information on a slow twitch thread that I have put the link to that in the show notes. Go check that out. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and kick ourselves on over to the training log. If you're new to Zentry and the training log, this is just recordings of my workouts as I do them. And people really seem to enjoy the capture of what it's like to actually be training like a competitive triathlete and all the soundscape and the experiences that uh, you might be familiar with or relate to as well. I try to talk about what I'm seeing as it's happening around me on purpose. The audio quality, the audio capture is done with everything going on around us on purpose Because we are real triathletes. This is a real triathlon podcast. We don't sit in a studio and record about what it might be like out there. We are actually doing it. And if you really do it, you'll recognize a lot of the sounds out there as well. Okay, here we go with the training log. Let's do it. You are entering the Zentrite Training Log Zone. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a trashie. Hi, I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But, Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes. Let's go exercise. exercise. All right. I'm at the turnaround I do sit-ups till I poop on my CR ride. And actually, I beat yesterday's time it's by five minutes. And it's a mix of. I've got a strong tailwind crosswind. It's not a tailwind the entire time. And I also do out and backs uh, tangent to this. So sometimes I'm riding right into the headwind when I'm getting back on the main course. And it is strong. So that slows me down. But also compared to yesterday, I feel way stronger. Yesterday I had to stop a bunch of times. That's why I made so many recordings. I was trying to let the carbs catch up. And today I feel way better. And what I've got is 300 calories per hour in uh, the Gatorade plus table sugar mix. The Gatorade is really just for flavoring, it's almost really entirely all table sugar. And then a gummy worm about once every 15 minutes. And. feel freaking amazing and I can uh, feel that it's way better usually when weather sucks and headwind sucks you're like man this sucks (laughs) and I'm acknowledging that it sucks but it's not terrible but we'll see though when I turn around and do an hour and a half into this uh, into this headwind although I'm a little suspicious it might be more crosswind than what I think and it won't be quite as terrible as I'm worried about. I'm uh, catastrophizing ahead of time. But I also figured out something really cool. With the frame bag, when the zipper's on the side of it, I was like, oh yeah, I could put my gummy bears, my little Ziploc of gummy bears in that. So I was reaching into my jersey pocket behind my uh, right side and trying to ride one-handed and then open up a Ziploc fish out a gummy worm, haha, and then eat that and then put that back in my jersey pocket. It's very difficult, actually. And instead, I put it in my frame bag and there's a zipper right by the head tube, you know, a couple inches behind the head tube, reach down in there and zip that back up. And, uh, you know, zippers are so good on these things. They're essentially waterproof that I just leave the Ziploc open. I kind of sort of close. I fold it over. And then I can just reach in there and grab a gummy worm. Still one-handed, you know, but way safer. And also more in a tucked position. You know, not sitting upright and all kinds of crazy stuff because of all this wind. And it works. It works really, really good. Another plus for frame bags. And then also a good training tip is The times that I'm riding that I happen to have a really strong tailwind, I sit as upright as possible and let that stretch out my back because I know that there's going to be long stretches of me riding tucked in the arrow position. I'm going to be like living in it, like in the arrow hut, (laughs) like in an arrow cave, just buried down in it trying to stay low. And the less time, the more time you spend sitting upright, the more time you can been in the arrow position and the thing is is you just do it when it counts right there's no point in being in the arrow position if you got a tailwind of like 25 30 miles an hour just sit upright and let it push you along like a sail and then it doesn't even need to be that much of a tailwind either and then when you do have to be in the arrow position because of a strong headwind then uh, it's way easier to endure it so it really does work all right I think I am going to head back. I bet that I record another piece of audio when I take a break after right writing this headwind. It is cold. It is overcast. Got a 30-something mile-an-hour headwind at times, crosswind. And I'm on gravel. Oh, I have another. I have a question for the audience because I love physics and science and engineering and all that. Learned that all from my dad. Learned to love it from my dad the question is riding on gravel you're already going slower okay but it's a rougher surface so it's got more I guess let's call it friction it's got more resistance right that's why it's slower so let's say you're riding down a gravel road and it's straight let's say it's several miles flat into a headwind is it all you All you uh, science nerds out there. Is it better to have to be riding in the headwind or in the tailwind? Because let's say you have a tailwind on gravel. Well, then that's helping push you along the gravel, right? And helping you overcome the gravel resistance. So that sounds like that's obvious, right? Well, let's say you're riding the gravel road into a headwind. Is that actually preferred? Because you're going slower on the gravel road already, so the headwind doesn't affect you as much, and the resistance in arrow is not linear. It's uh, what is that called? Exponential. The faster, the faster the headwind, the stronger the headwind. The it double it, it doesn't double. It quadruples or something in resistance for every. For every double in speed, it's like, actually it's eight times, I think, as much resistance. It takes eight times as much power for every double in speed. So, what is it? Email me at texafornia@gmail.com at gmail.com with your explanation, and uh, I'll read it on the show. I'd be fascinated to find out. And I bet uh, it really hasn't been tested that much. So, it'd be cool to find out and talk about it on the podcast. All right, that's it. I think I'm delaying enough. I wanna get home and have my beer and then my IPA as a reward for this, compare my weekly hours to Kai, because we're in a competition to see if you can get the most weekly hours. I'm gonna get close to 15. And, and I think I'm ahead, I think I'm gonna win. And then I want to start creating uh, the next podcast, the Zentri podcast that I've been working on. My first real full show went out this morning And I'm already excited about working on another one. So I want to get home. And um, i got to update the website and put, you know, links to the podcast. And a player on Zentrathlon.com, And also work on coaching with my new coaching client that I've got. And build her a training plan. And First I look at how many hours somebody's been doing. Of all three sports and then combined, you know, all that stuff. And then... We start them from where they're at and then try to build from there. So I'm excited to read what she says that she's been doing so far hour-wise and then slowly start incrementing on that. It'd be really, really cool. All right, let's go. All right, I just made it through the worst of the worst of today, hopefully. <laughs> a couple few miles, I don't know, maybe four miles, uphill into a headwind on gravel. One of the hills is really steep, and it's got washboard and all kinds of stuff. It's pretty rough, and I was not looking forward to it. And it turned out to be actually way easier. I felt like more of kind of like a bottomless energy. And the way I would equate it to is when I was doing 250 calories an hour, struggling to keep that down, I felt like, like when you drink a straw out of a uh, cup, like a fast food to go cup and you're starting to get to the bottom and it's it's a lot of air mixed in with your fluid. It's like... <laughs> and not really... You're not getting, you know, full, full dose. The difference between that and taking a drink out of a straw and the cup's half full, totally full, and you just get like a big volume or like a thicker straw too, like a bigger diameter straw. You just get a full volume of energy. It feels like there's a bigger base So when I'm climbing, when I'm going into the headwind, I feel like there's more meat on the bone when I'm putting down power. And it's just enough, you know. Like I said before, like I was getting power, but just, you know, it's like I'm picking at the bone to get power. And then I noticed something else today. It's a really odd sensation. I'm not happy with... uh, single chain, single front chain ring gravel bikes. And then mine's an 11 speed, I think, did not all that great. And, you know, coming from the world of double chain rings and 11, 12 speeds, you get like this real, there's always a right gear. And gravel bikes are now being raced more and they're putting double chain rings on them. And there's this classified hub thing which acts like a a double, kind of like a extra chain ring. And then you can get just in that right gear. So on this bike, a lot of the time, I mean, almost all the time, I feel like I'm, my uh, cadence is too high or just a little bit too low. I can't find, I wish there was more gears. I totally feel like I'm lacking some granularity in the gearing. And today I'm not noticing that. I am not, uh struggling and wishing that where 's the gear in the middle of these two gears like I have to pick like having to hop between two gears all the time i 'm having um, more time and more fun in one gear and feeling like it 's the right gear for longer it 's a very interesting feeling and people don 't think about this but a lot of your perception about how Everything that's going on with your, what you think is, um, well, everything that's going on that is like mechanical and gearing and the weather and the, the roughness of the road, all this biofeedback stuff that you experience, um, a lot of it is tainted by your blood sugar level. So, I've noticed, for example, that if I start getting back pain and pain in my shoulders and stuff like that uh, or, uh, pain in my knees, it's actually low blood sugar and I'll sugar back up and then the pain will go away. That's how, you know, if you sugar carb back up and then the pain goes away, good one lives like in your back and shoulders. And you're like, Oh, that's, um, because you have low blood sugar, other things are starting to affect you. You know, it's kind of like a version of being hangry. And then I also wanted to mention one other thing. I started off this ride 5 PSI lower than before. I've been slowly working my way down to the confidence of lower tire pressure. I am running a 50 millimeter on the front and a 48 on the back. But I'm also 200 plus pounds and carrying a whole bunch of water, two fuel bottle, water bottles and a camelback, you know, and a pump, like, you know, all kinds of crazy crap and extra gear because it's cold today. So. It seems to work fine, so you need to, like, over time, like, lower your tire pressure to a point where you're not worried about it. It's okay. Take your time. Believe in yourself. <laughs> That's your Buddhism thing, is experience it and then judge. <sighs> Don't take people's word for everything. If, experience it yourself and see what you think. It's okay. But one reason that gravel bikes make such good all-around training bikes is with the bigger tires... And maybe tread on them. They don't always have uh, more tread on them. They make great bikes for riding in the rain. There's a dude on the horizon. He's uh, looking at me. He's about a quarter mile away, standing there. he's, He's at the end of this dirt road. What you want? So, what you, what you, what you want? Oh, there's another person. Oh, that guy's in a blue shirt. Kai has friends that live out here. Maybe it's them. Anyway, and when uh, I finished running this morning, as you heard on the training log, oh, he's just doing yard work. He's got a weed eater. When uh, I, I don't know if I lived on the on a nowhere country road, I would not be bothering weed eating the <laughs> the side of the road. But whatever, whatever you do, you. But um, remember, it was raining. Well, so the it rained in one spot. It didn't rain everywhere. So the first third of my ride was on really wet roads. It had just rained a, a ton. It was like a big dump of rain. And with, of course, with the bigger tires on gravel bikes, but also lowering the PSI, have way more confidence going in the turns, which is really nice. You just, and also now with bikes with disc brakes, it's just nice. You know, you know that everything's going to be all right. It's much less likely that you're going to slip out. And then today, starting off with lower PSI, and then yesterday, I forgot to mention. If you remember, I, as right before I hit the gravel, I dropped my PSI. Some, the suppleness of the of the gravel road was totally different. Like it just. It wasn't as jarring, it just felt nice and smooth, a little bit more like butter. Not totally like butter, but a little bit more like butter. And it took the edge off of things. And I've noticed that with it taking the edge off of the rocks and the little, I don't know, washboard and all kinds of stuff like that, um, it's safer because um, you ride with one hand a lot, you know, grabbing water bottles Um, grabbing, in my case, gummy bears, pressing buttons on your bike computer, just little things here and there, turning around, looking behind you. Um, It's so nice to have your bike way more under control than before and a little bit lower tire pressure. will do that. Now, one thing I don't have on this bike is I don't have tire liners and I want to get some. I've had them before on a different bike and they're pretty great, but also I'm on alloy rim, so I'm not that worried about damaging the room too much and uh but tire liners would be nice okay that's it back on the road i've got about another let's see it's going to show me here another 45 minutes to go all right out bang all right we are back at the house at the his house <laughs> and i've got river right here with me see if we can hear his calling. i think he missed me while i was gone And I told him, it was cold out there. I wish I had him, like I could carry him like Yoda on my back. That'd be really cool. But he's too big. He's a big boy. I got, River, I got chased by German shepherds, like yourself. They were not cool, although they didn't try to bite me. They just tried to chase me, and they were puppies. Like, uh, like six-month-olds. Anyway, on the final 30 minutes on the way back... I got a little bit of a low blood sugar and I think going into a headwind and it's really hilly right there in that section and I overdid my capacity and I pulled over for a second and ate two or three gummy worms and a big chug of water and waited for a minute, uh, used the time to use the restroom on the side of the highway and then the thing I was talking about earlier about mood and perception of things, was really interesting because about five minutes later, it wasn't very much longer, maybe maybe 10 minutes later, I was riding along in aero position, riding into a headwind, and I started singing out loud with the music I was listening to. And also, I listen to music on open ear headphones, open runs, air shocks, whatever they're called, open shocks. <laughs> That's for another podcast. I'm going to go over equipment that works out on the road. And my point being is I'm I'm safe. Don't worry. And I started twisting the grip on the arrow bar like it was a motorcycle twist. Like, rar, 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 like that. And, I was, and then I thought, whoa, you are in a way better mood with way better energy. And then getting back to the house, cracking open a sierra nevada hazy little thing ipa it occurred to me to use my digital air what is that thing air pressure meter <laughs> golly there's a real name for it. i can't remember right a second the uh, anyway i used it on my tires to see actually did my tires leak any air since i put sealant in the front and just curious about the back and no the tire pressure was exactly the same as when i left and i thought that's pretty impressive cuz usually tires leak a little bit of air over time you get kind of used to that and no they were exactly the same as when i left and that's pretty impressive and then i had several more thoughts and facts i wanted to share with people about the high carb fueling while training issue so a lot of people will be worried about you know is this bad for me to be using that much carbs while training well it turns out there's been lots of research on this i've been working with people on this uh for i don't know 15 years and you can't even begin to fuel your body with the amount of sugar that it's burning while you're exercising you're lucky to get in half. <laughs> so because your body's processing fast it faster than you are taking it in, uh, the concerns about like diabetes and stuff like that are not an issue while you're working out. Now your overall health matters completely differently uh, off the bike. And that's where you should be eating healthy and stuff like that. And that's where you should be eating healthy and slow carbs and as a long-distance triathlete i like the saying uh slow carb not low carb but slow carb you need to eat plenty of carbs but they just need to be slow off the bike off the run off the swim but then another thing is that the more you're able to fuel and put down during your workout today then the better you're going to perform tomorrow and the reason why is it, it aids in your recovery you know so you come in from a long workout and then you take a recovery drink and all the stuff to make you to resaturate your your body with nutrition with uh, glycogen and all that stuff in nutrition and well if you're taking more in while you're exercising it actually you, know, you don't you're just adding to your recovery drink in a way and then a couple other notes This is my second day back to back four hours yesterday four hours today one hour run three hour bike each day and today i went exactly the same speed as i did yesterday which is quite an accomplishment having done four hours yesterday to turn around and do it again the very next day and actually worse weather conditions and i believe i ran a little bit faster as well not just biked a little bit faster but i mean it's it's not much but What that shows is where we want to get to as athletes is a mastery of effort, learning how hard to go one day and how much to fuel so that you can do it again the next day. And it's a habit that you build to ask yourself, am I going too hard to actually be able to do tomorrow what's on my plan for tomorrow? And so I was biking today, but I was was about halfway through the bike ride and I thought, Oh, yeah. What am I doing tomorrow? <laughs> you know, and then I thought, oh, I really enjoyed swimming on Monday morning and posting it on Instagram that I was able to swim and have a not an mate, not a, you know, record breaking swim, but the fact that I had the energy to get up and go swim in the morning, Monday morning and kick out my legs and, you know, put in a good hour's effort was actually, you know, an indicator of mastery of effort and pacing and restraint and patience because you got to put the rings on the tree very, very gently, one little ring at a time and you don't want to do too much and then blow up and then need to recover forever. It's all about training density. It's about the number of workouts you can get in without needing, without putting yourself in a hole and then needing tons of recovery. And so halfway through my ride today, I thought, you're working pretty hard up this hill into a headwind. Are you actually going too hard to swim on Monday morning? And I thought, yeah, I think I'm going a little bit too hard. So I backed off the pace a little bit. And it takes experience as well to know that it's worth it. You do a little bit if you're going big volume, you do a little bit less effort than you think you need to because you can't appreciate it in the moment about how tired. You don't know how tired you're going to be later at the end of the ride. And honestly, you can make it up at the end of the ride anyway. If you get to the end of the ride and you're like, man, I should have gone a little bit harder. Well, guess what? You can go a little bit harder for the last few minutes and put in, a, put in an interval or such. Put in a few extra minutes at a harder effort, however, you do it. So, looking at the difference between training peaks and Strava, if you have training peaks, you can look at the end of your week. You can set up a, an extra column at the end of your week. You know, you have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then there's a setting in your preferences where you can add a column and have it show your summary of the week. And I love that. I, I want to see how many miles and hours I did of each sport exactly. And then because it's in a calendar format, like a monthly calendar format, I can go and look at this week versus the week before, versus the week before. And let's see. So let's say three weeks ago, or is it four weeks ago? I don't know. We'll do this here. Uh 12 hours and 23 minutes total. And then I upped it the week after that to 14 hours and three minutes for the week. And then somehow, miraculously, did 14 hours and three minutes again the week after that, which is last week. And today on Sunday, looking at the sum total for the week, fourteen fourteen. So I've gone up. I'm slowly increasing my, my uh, volume and the numbers are, let's see, for this past week, 11,703 yards of swimming and only three swims. So I averaged almost 4,000 yards per swim, biked 120 miles, but that's a mix of gravel biking, which is actually pretty slow, uh, you know, I average like 16 miles an hour on gravel. Um, and then on Zwift over all these years, I've worked my way up to, I think I'm level 59, 58 (laughs) out of 60. the, The max is 60. And so over time I've upgraded my bike. Uh, you get upgrades as you go and buy faster and faster bikes. So now I'm on, I've got several of like ridiculously fast time trial bikes and a time trial helmet and disc wheel And the Zip 808 front, you know, it's pretty ridiculous. And so on those rides, I average about 21 miles an hour. So somewhere in between is, I don't know, if you were just out riding a road bike, regular outdoors, then that would kind of reflect it. Once you average those two out and uh, 120 miles and then run 24 miles. And what's interesting is if you ever want to do an Ironman and you want to look at what the pros do. I think my swim, oh, oh, to qualify for Kona, not the pros, but if you want to qualify for Kona, my swim is actually, uh, I'm doing the the volume of swim that people typically do. They say around like 12,000 yards, I think, is what it takes if you want to think about qualifying for Kona. I think the bike... Need about 120 miles instead of... No, I mean uh, 200 miles. I'd have to look. But I think they get close to 200 miles, and I'm at 120. So we're talking an extra bike ride. And then the run is 40 to 50. So let's say average 45 miles. So I'm quite short on the run, but that's okay. I'm trying to build back up my run after my leg injuries that I had and taking it gently and... Another thing was, yeah, so last week I averaged, I ran 18 miles. So 24 miles is pretty good. Last week was 18 miles. The week before that, 21 miles. That's not bad. The week before that, 19 miles. The week before that, 18.9. So I've actually done a nice little jump in mileage here up to 24. And what I did that worked was. A few weeks ago, I started adding in like a longer run, like a um, eight, you know, because I typically run about six miles. So I said, oh, I'm going to go seven and then eight miles and try to get my weekend run longer. And then I noticed that that actually wasn't working for me right now. I think that that works. I know that that works in general, have a weekend longer run. But um, just trying to grow my volume and going from like three runs a week to Just adding in another run actually seemed to not destroy me. And so it got my run volume up by just adding in another six-mile run. So six times four is 24. And that seemed to fit into my schedule pretty nice and still keep everything nice and level and consistent. And now what I'm looking for is running four times a week, So I need to get used to that first instead of running three times a week and then one of them really long. Um, Run four times a week and get used to that volume. And then I think I'll get faster and then be able to start bumping up one of those runs to being a, a longer run. I've been at Kona qualifying numbers before and Kona qualifying speeds. I know how to do it, how to set up the schedule. It just takes time to get there. All right, I'll be right back. Oh, I just noticed something on Strava versus Training Peaks that the time for my week, the time total, is different. I was like, why is it different? And Training Peaks shows 14 hours and 14 minutes or something like that. And then Strava shows 14 hours and 40 minutes. And I was looking through the workouts. The workouts all looked the same. And then I noticed something that... Strava is showing its non-swimming routes. Strava uh, started out as a cycling app only, I think, and then they added in running. So it's got some really good cycling tools. And then after a while, they started uh, implementing swimming, but it's not the way swimmers would implement it. And one of the differences is while... Your running and biking workouts for your time for the week, it shows time moving. And for swimming, it doesn't. It's your cumulative time that you from when you started your watch until you ended your watch. And like you could walk out to your car and then go, oh, I forgot to end my workout. And it's going to add that in, I think. But definitely what it's doing is it's adding in the time between sets and counting that as part of your swim workout. And it kinda depends on your swim workout if you wanna and also if you wanna add that in there. I wish that was an option that I could turn off. Because on my watch face it's showing me that I swim an hour. But if I add in the rest time between sets, and we're talking five sometimes it's five minutes in a swim, sometimes it'll be fifteen minutes in a swim, especially like, I've forgotten my kickboard and needed to go walk back to get out of the pool, walk around and go grab a kickboard and then come back in. And it's counting that as workout time. And I'm like, that is not workout time. So, in my mind, and I come from a competitive swimming background and I get it. If you're doing a real like high school swimming, college swimming workout, a local club team swimming workout, it is even during your intervals your break between your intervals, you are breathing hard (laughs) and trying to recover. There's very little time between sets. It's kind of like doing a a track workout with, you know, no rest, almost no rest in between. That's what swimming is like. And so I guess you could count that as your workout time, but the way I'm doing it and the way I want to log stuff, that is not time moving in the pool like the other two sports are and that was the actual difference between the two so if you're ever comparing the two or wondering why your total swim time for the week seems higher than than uh what you think it should be look at your workout time versus how much time you were actually moving in the pool and notice that it adds it all up all right out all right we are back at the zentri mobile studios leaving the pool what a great swim for a couple reasons that we'll get into here. So one thing I've noticed is you can tell that he overdid it is if during your swim you start getting foot and leg cramps. That means that means that yeah he just overdid it. So, F-150 starting up next to me. I'm getting in my own white Ram truck. Putting my swim bags, wet stuff in the back. Not exactly wet stuff in the front. (laughs) I mean, in the back seat. But swimsuit in the truck bed. Works pretty good. Swim bag full of wet stuff. Goggles. Swim cap. All goes in the truck bed with a carabiner clip. And. How, oh, Kai drove my truck and now the sunroof is open. (laughs) The fact that trucks have a sunroof, I think is ridiculous. I tried to not get the sunroof on this. I was like, is there any way I can get one without it? Or pay less because I don't want it? Because it'll just end up leaking over time. don't really, a truck really isn't a glamour vehicle. There's cross traffic to the rear. And that also means that fueling and hydration was spot on because if you're dehydrated, you're underfueled, you're also going to cramp up either by the end of your ride or by the, um, by the workout the next day. And yeah, so that worked out really good. I also had some ice cream last night. It's pretty good. Chocolate chip ice cream. Blue Bell is the regional ice cream that everybody thinks is the absolute best in the world until you go to another region. And then that one's just the absolute best in the world as everybody does around the world with everything. And being a Monday morning swim and not knowing what I'm going to get myself into, like how recovered I am. I had to go to bed a little bit late last night and I decided to not swim by pace I do 5 minutes or 5 intervals of 12 minutes each. They end up being about 800 yards, 750 yards. And I usually set a beep timer on my watch for the interval. And then I try to clean up my stroke, push the pace, slow down, you know, whatever. This intersection here is a cluster. I'm gonna to have to wait here because other people are in the turn lane. Reminds me of Costa Rica where there's <laughs> we went to Costa Rica for our honeymoon not for our honeymoon for our anniversary and one of the a major intersection, but it was out in the country. No traffic lights, nothing. You just kind of had to figure it out. And people figure it out. It's pretty funny. And I Instead swam by pace. I'm a little addicted to the beat every hundred yards. So I switched it to just a beep every 100 yards. And what's a little aggravating is that, you know, the watches are predictive. They're like, you're getting close to another 100 yards, another four laps. And, well, yeah, I set it to beat by laps, actually. And uh, you're getting close to another four laps. So I'm going to beep now right in the middle of the pool. Somebody's truck is on fire. Over there, that's the truck's not having a good day. That's a Chevy, <clears throat> but then what that allows you to do is swim by effort and time. And once you get enough training under your belt and you learn the importance of training your body, you're out there to train your body, you're not out there to, to train your stopwatch, right. So once you start listening to your body and searching for the feelings, search your feelings, Luke, and know it to be true that you're kind of on the edge and your breathing is kind of, you know, getting a little bit on the edge. Then you know to slow down a little bit. And then once it gets a little bit too easy, then you kind of speed up a little bit. And what's really cool about swimming is you can tell how efficient you are by how many strokes it takes to get to the other side while keeping about the same cadence. And I'm swimming in this weird length pool. It's 28.2 yards long, which is nuts. But anyway, my first lap, because I got a good push off the wall, the first length, it always takes me eight strokes. And then on the way back, it'll be eight or eight and a half. And then I'll settle into nine after a while. Nine strokes per length on one side. I count with my right arm usually. The half would be uh, taking a stroke with my left side to make it to the wall, and I settle into that. And then what I notice is if I start, you know, having trouble making it in nine strokes, then I'm trying too hard. And what this does is it cleans up your efficiency, and it settles down your pace. And now you're training your technique so that you make it, so that you got good glide and clean stroke. You make it both in nine strokes, and for me, nine strokes. And then the other thing you're training is you're training by feel to make sure that you're getting a little bit of lactic burn in the shoulders after a while, but not too much. And that's your hour swim. And. Then what I do is the last 100 yards, I push the pace, kind of a semi-sprint. Not a 100% all-out 100-yard sprint like I would do in a swim meet if I was racing 100 yards. But I uh, really do push it so that by the time I hit the wall, I'm working my VO2 max and it's just a really nice swim. And what I like about this is on a Monday morning, it becomes very meditative it's non-judgmental. You're just counting your strokes, swimming to the pool, you know, in meditation and people like have you just monitor your own breathing, count your breaths and see how it feels. And it's very much like that. It's very hypnotic and I like it. And then by the time I get to work, I'm in a nice calm mood because I've had my morning meditation swim. And then the other thing is I looked at my numbers when I was done and I was actually as fast as one of my faster swims. And that goes back to the fact that when we try too hard in swimming, we actually slow down. And we actually go faster with a nice, clean stroke. Over time, that actually adds up to more distance in the same amount of, same amount of time with less effort and you're nice and relaxed. But then again, get in that last 100 yards of hard push because you're already swimming for an hour that's quite a workout as it is and then that last 100 yards hard push kind of puts the ice in on the cake and after two days your muscles are recovered and then you're back at it again for another nice swim so um, maybe we'll try it again on wednesday all right we're about to finish our run oh there's dogs up there <laughs> And this is amazing. Here we go. We're going to take over. There we go. Six miles at a sub 10 pace, which is the first time since my terrible foot and leg injuries, knee, I mean everything. And I did it by increasing my run frequency and once I hit an hour and not my run distance on the long run. All right. I need to, we got a window on a car that's down. I want to check it out. Oh, no, it's not. It's just a reflection. I thought somebody shattered the window on Emily's car. All right. I was listening to a great podcast. Uh, Dharma Seed, dharmaseed.org puts out Zen talks. And this one was an interview with a famous Zen practitioner who was talking about the map of wisdom. That's the title of this one, the map of wisdom. And he said, one thing people need to remember, we get so frustrated when things change. And one way to deal with it is to remember you are part of the change. The the change isn't happening to you. Uh, (laughs) You are a member of the change and you are experiencing the change as part of it and that'll help you deal with it a little bit better. When I had to move offices, I did not like it. And the proper way to look at it is the moving of offices isn't happening to me. I am moving offices. And then it just helps you like deal with things a little bit better. Think of things from a different perspective. Zen is all about thinking about perspectives and I cannot say how happy I am running with a dog at under a 10 minute mile. I know that does not sound fast. I actually slowed down significantly with my injuries. I've got a few 10 K's, not 10 K's, 5 K's at a six and a half minute mile pace. So, and I used to be a really fast runner when I was a kid. I think my average cruising speed when I'm in good shape is about a a low eight. If i got a lot of volume so it's nice just to increase my speed but without the other thing is to not try too much just increase your volume and just cruise and if you do enough consistency consistency you'll actually get faster to your natural pace which is i think for most people about an eight and a half minute well okay let's turn off your light let's go cool down I'm so happy river and I also taught River how to drink out of the water fountain, and I got a picture of it. It's really funny. It'll be on Instagram at Zentrathlon, in on Instas, on the Instas, and Twitter. Okay, out. Did you see the picture, Bay? Here, look. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all the countersurfing failures to try to get the countersurfing out of him still has an upside, Bay. He's so happy. He got a drink on his run. Kai, get up! All right, that's the end of the training log and the end of the episode. I want to get this show wrapped up and shipped out because we have a big weekend ahead of mountain bike racing. Kai's last varsity race for high school is this weekend. It's NICA, which is National but it's National Interscholastic Competitive Athletics or something like that. But anyway, it's the Mountain Bike League all across the United States. But they compete specifically against Texas. And every mountain bike race that they do, they do a race every couple weekends in the spring, is against all the other schools in Texas. It is outstanding. So it's not just this one high school versus another high school mountain bike race. It's all the schools the schools across Texas coming together to race at different mountain bike venues across Texas. It is super competitive, but also super, super they, super fun. They start off as fun and then they get more competitive if they want, as they get older. And the varsity level racing is the same courses, the same distances as full on real adult mountain bike races at the advanced to pro level. So this will be Kai's last race. If the weather holds up, it's supposed to rain Friday night, Saturday morning. The race is near Lagrange, Texas. How how how? At a place called Warda Bluff Creek Bike Ranch. If you ever want to Google it and go there, it's pretty awesome. But don't go there this weekend. <laughs> the place is going to be packed with kids, and they do pre ride on Saturday. A really interesting, a really interesting thing about mountain biking is. If you haven't mountain biked a course either before or lately, you are really slow on it compared to if you ride it a few times. With a few laps, you kind of get a feel for where you need your momentum, the different obstacles. You're not seeing everything for the first time. It is completely different than riding a course on the open road as far as how much it matters that you've actually ridden the course lately. So what they do is they schedule the different schools have different ride times I don't know what our ride time is yet it could be at noon, it could be at 1 o'clock it could be at 3 o'clock it could be at 5 o'clock and then the next day is the actual races and the race for varsity starts I think at 9am they're one of the first to go but anyway, I'll be there if they have it this weekend because they got to make sure the course is dried out enough they're a little bit more cautious with kids too so it's got to be dried out enough to make sure that the course is safe. But hopefully, we'll have a mountain bike race this weekend. If not, they have a rain date. They have a they can have it again um, a few weeks later. But anyway, thanks everybody for tuning in. I really am enjoying making shows again. This is so much fun. I'm both uh, frustrated with technology changes and trying to learn some new things, but also enjoying some of the technology changes that make. Recording a podcast. Making a podcast a little bit easier. But don't forget, if you enjoy the show and want to help support Zentry, or if you want coaching, or if you want nutrition coaching, you can go over to Zentrathlon.com. There's a coaching form under Get Coached at the top. There's support the show, donation links on the sides. You can do a one-time donation. You can do a recurring donation. Oh, and yeah, I read your name on the show. (laughs) If you support the show, it's cool to hear your own name on the show and let other people know that you support us. Okay, that's it. I need to get off the mic and get some stuff done. I got a bike ride I need to get in tonight to keep up my training schedule. I really enjoyed getting in fifteen, almost 15 hours last week, and I want to hit it again this week. And with the race coming up, being there and supporting i gotta make sure i get in as much ride time as i can during the week before the weekend hits and i'm on the sidelines cheering people on instead of actually riding myself all right that's it everybody stay safe out there work the uphills cruise the downhills and keep the rubber side down out